0: head to com slash merch. Every purchase helps
1: us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit com slash merch
0: today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011.
1: So many great conversations over the years about so many great
0: movies. And some stinkers.
1: Well, true. But you know, producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered.
0: Just visit the slash originals. Your purchase is made through our links. Give us a small commission at no extra cost to you, and allow us to keep having these great discussions.
1: In Season 3, we covered even more great adaptations, like The Night of the Hunter, and It Happened One Night, both part of our Couples on the Run series.
0: We talked about No Country for Old Men, the Coen brothers so rarely adapt someone else's work. We had some fun rom-com
1: adaptations like About a Boy, based on the Nick Hornby novel, and Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, adapted from Rachel Cohn and David Levithan's book.
0: In our terribly and naively named foreign language series, we discussed the brilliant City of God and the Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which I won't ever be able to watch again, ever. But could you read the original memoir? I don't know. Maybe.
1: We had our Richard Dysart series with adaptations like The Day of the Locust and Being There.
0: Plus, we had that fantastic interview with the man himself.
1: <laughs> the one where we had him sit on the floor. Because his chair was so squeaky. <laughs> Good times. We did our first Tom Hanks series with Forrest Gump, adapted from Winston Groom's novel. Plus, Apollo 13, based on Lost Moon by Jim Lovell.
0: And we did another year series looking at films from 1981, including Das Boot, Gallipoli, and Thief all based on books.
1: Listeners can dive deeper into all of these original stories and more at the slash originals. Every book, play, movie, video game, video game. <laughs> you bet. We have talked about some video game adaptations as well. It doesn't matter the source. Just follow the link. Every purchase supports the
0: podcast. Check out the full list at the slash originals and get reading, watching, performing, or playing today.
1: You're going to care what I'm about to say. You're not the, you're
0: not the boss of me. <laughs> Andy, I'm hot. God, it's hot now, today. I know you live in... Oh, I live in Phoenix. It's a dry heat. I hate you. <laughs> <sighs> oh, uh, Hey, how you doing? I'm good. You doing anything good with your life this week? Nothing. Awesome. <laughs> awesome oh no it was
1: a it was a good week it was uh uh yeah i you know actually this is this is (laughs) this is how my week has been i don't even remember uh clearly because it's been a week of illness over at the nelson household has
0: it really family's down with the plague
1: Yes, first uh, Olivia and I were down with the plague and then uh, my son uh, got it and I was actually home with him today cuz he was sick so it's it was a week of illness. Oh,
0: I'm sorry to hear for that. For sure. Oh, I hate that. There's nothing worse. Mm, that's true. That's the truth. It is true. Uh we had we had health around our house so that was good and the weather is improving. No more gray skies around these parts here in. And that's pretty nice. Of course, it's going to mm-hmm. rain tomorrow. I don't want to talk <laughs> about it. There's a reason I live here. I can't think of it right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, so, you know, I was just watching that uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles trailer. Mm, yes. you know anything about that?
1: Uh, I know that there are turtles. They have been uh, covered in, in toxic sli- sludge or slime or ooze. I think it was an ooze, wasn't was it,
0: it? Was it an ooze? I don't know. I thought they were, like, manufactured.
1: No. There was uh, some toxic chemical that was spilled, and it fell down into the sewer, landing on four hapless turtles who live in the sewer, as turtles often do, and a sewer rat. Huh. And They wow. mutate into having uh being the being able to speak and have mad ninja skills and skateboarding skills too cuz you know cuz how what, else
0: do they get around turtles are what, naturally slow that's what toxic sl- toxic ooze does that's right yeah got to bring it bring it home with the skateboarding i've never understood uh tmnt uh, i've never gotten I, into it
1: i i know i remember watching the uh the jim henson version when i was younger and what it, well hit the the henson creature oh, oh was the other behind, yeah they've made the other movie. behind the first back in the TMNT. Right, exactly back yeah. in the early 90s late 80s whenever it was yeah uh i remember watching them i remember or the first one i remember enjoying it but i don't know if i would want to watch it again i feel like i would find it lacking on many levels <laughs> maybe i'm reading into that but that's just uh i i just have that sense
0: mm. it's not uh it just looks it just you know and then william fitchner's in it mm. well, i like william fitchner as the heavy he's he's an entertaining guy yeah why does it have to be so dumb looking it's i'm gonna turtles, get i'm gonna we're on. gonna get emails we're gonna get emails. you, you somebody. are somebody saying a
1: movie about talking turtles is dumb looking i think you're, <laughs> you're are looking you looking bla- something a little much what yeah a movie about talking so now turtles. this is
0: on me all of a sudden <laughs> of course oh man <laughs> do you ever start to think do you think come thursday night you think gosh i think i've been doing this show with pete too long because I, I i'm not saying i've thought about it right now just a second oh, kidding oh, kidding oh. i can't quit you <laughs> hey uh should we tell the people where we're from because i know what? you have a hot, hot date tonight
1: i do Dayton with the spider. spider man
0: he's our hero <laughs> do you have it get the reference get, r- get rid of of course I got Okay, it. I'm just... About, yeah. We
1: love you, spider.
0: <laughs> uh, hey, uh, everybody. Uh, it's the next reel. We so appreciate you hanging out with us talking about movies. Because uh, especially tonight, you thought the Matrix episode was long... Wait till you hear what we
1: do with Das Boot. We're gonna to have to split it into uh, how many T V episodes do you think we can
0: make out of this one tonight? I'm telling you, you're gonna to need to go out for snacks. Or we can make it our shortest episode. Uh, that's hey, it, everybody. Look, Pete week. and Andy are ironic. Uh, <laughs> oh hey, it's the next reel. I'm Pete. That's Andy, and we hang out at thenextreel.com. We hang out on uh, Facebook and on the Twitter. If you want to catch up with us, we sure appreciate your kind uh, words and comments. If you want to subscribe to the show, if you're listening to this online or on Facebook, wherever, head over to iTunes, subscribe to the show, and uh, then you'll never miss an episode. And uh, so uh, there. Uh, and you know what else? We we let me just tell you. I'm just saying sometimes if there are times when it you know uh, when when you need a little uh, a little mojo we just when you're when you're feeling down suddenly somebody writes in really really awesome comments on our Facebook page like uh, Matthew Madrano this week who said great podcast guys my favorite one by far. You know what, Matthew? You're my favorite one by far, all of a sudden. (laughs) Uh, Always looking forward to what movie you guys are going to do next. Myself, being an aspiring screenwriter, I appreciate all the insights you give to movies, their characters, and all the wonderful aspects that make the movies that we love. Matthew, thank you so much for writing. That is so cool of you to say. And uh, really, uh, we deeply appreciate it.
1: Absolutely.
0: Uh, Can we talk about uh, Outsmarted? I we feel should. like now we need a theme song, because I'm going to go ahead and drop that, Outsmarted. I think that was Steve's idea. <laughs>
1: outsmarted! <laughs> Thanks. Sorry, I was, I was telling Tommy. You
0: totally were. You totally were. <laughs> Handsome Tom. Hey, uh, Outsmarted, that's, the, that's, gonna be, that's what we do now. This is, uh, uh, this is our, new, uh, our new name for our very favorite contest, the Guess the Movie Pony Prize. How'd we do this week?
1: You know, it was it was three days. It was three days for uh, Jomiha to nail it with planes, trains, and automobiles, Mm. and uh, yeah, which you know, it's it's a fun one because you look at some of the pictures for it, and it's like uh, that doesn't look necessarily well, and you don't think that it's planes, trains, and automobiles, and so that's of course that's part of the fun of the game, right?
0: That's right. The first three, the first uh, four, I had no clue. Yeah, I, guess I it just did
1: you know, I didn't. I guess it. it was a few more. It was more than three. It was. But then, the my favorite one, of course, is the the skull with the eyes. Yes. In the, <laughs> in the, in the you're going the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That uh, was so good. Yes. So yeah, good. Absolutely. And you know, we added, uh, so now you can find, if you don't do, uh, Instagram, uh, if you go to our Facebook page, you can now see all the pictures on our Facebook pages. Hit the, the, uh, there's a little button. There's a tab. I don't know how long it'll be there cuz you know Facebook tends to renovate fairly frequently but there's a little <laughs> button that says we're on Instagram. Hey, hey. And if you click that it'll open up and you can see the pictures. So if you want to follow along the pony prize and you don't use uh you don't use the Instagram, that's where you can uh, you can see the pictures and yes, follow along.
1: Quick and follow along. Mhm. Well,
0: yeah. I love it this week. Can't wait to see where he uh, where he goes the uh, goodly kindly and uh classy. Stephen Smart. Absolutely. And now, Andrew, let's do some trailers.
1: Let's do them.
0: Uh, um, I think you should go first.
1: I'll go first. No. I'll go first. As uh, you know, I will say uh, I am going to uh, give a shout out to uh, my new favorite trailer, <laughs> 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 WolfCop. <laughs>
0: no. Ah. <laughs> uh.
1: Because it just it looks so absurd. Because he's uh, and, half, and...
0: Half, half wolf, half cop. <laughs> All, All wolf, wolf cop. cop.
1: <laughs> no, we really uh, shouldn't talk about that trailer, give it uh, any more than it needs. Yeah, <laughs> really, the title enough. says everything you need to know about the movie. <laughs> Pretty much. But uh, no, my actual trailer, uh, which I, I'm really excited about, it's called I Origins. And that's I as in the letter I, Origins. It looks like a really interesting kind of a a modern day story that has kind of a sci-fi bent with a little hint of maybe some reincarnation stuff going on. It's very much uh, a a film that looks like um, the exploration of a man who is a scientist trying to kind of deal with his own personal beliefs of science versus God. And, um, and he is trying to, uh, he, he falls for somebody who, um, is pushing him to kind of believe in God and more of the, the, the religious, the metaphysical, all of that. And, um, he is kind of, it's almost like he's trying to disprove God. Um, but then she dies and he, um, using eye patterns, um, ends up kind of finding somebody in India who actually has the exact same eye pattern as the woman that he loved. And so it kind of, he goes on this this journey trying to, you know, figure out the meaning of life and uh, kind of, you know, how, you know, are we reincarnated? Is there more to it than just kind of a scientific view of things? It, uh, the trailer, Michael Pitt is in it and Britt Marling, and it looks really fascinating. It looks like, the type of, uh, um, uh, a modern day kind of take on sci-fi and, uh, you know, the, that battle between science or between science and, um, uh, the, the nature of God, the existence of other powers and everything. And I really am fascinated by the trailer. I'm fascinated by where, uh, uh, Michael, Mike Cahill, the director and writer of this film is going to take us in this film
0: yeah the trailer is is reasonably mesmerizing i i it is fascinating and the, the eye pattern stuff i think is what hooks me i i think that's just um that's fantastic yeah absolutely. it
1: really is interesting stuff uh
0: visually interesting he's an interesting actor uh
1: michael pitt it,
0: pretty understated yeah right as the the science uh the scientist and i, I my, my, he's one of those that i'm i'm interested to see what he does with the role if he brings some more uh, i don't know uh What's the word range? Uh, <laughs> that is well, on he's, display in the trailer. He,
1: he, well, yeah, I mean he, he's he's a scientist. He's very serious, Pete. Oh yes, <laughs>
0: that is that is truth.
1: Well, he's he's always been kind of one of those interesting actors that uh, you know I've never totally kind of clicked with him, but I've always found something about him that that at least piques my curiosity, I guess, because <laughs> there's I don't know his his look just there's something about him that has kind of a there's a Something about him that just has kind of there's some I feel like there's something more behind his eyes.
0: Yes. All right. Well, we should uh, we should see that.
1: Yes, I I think we should. This is a uh, uh, Mike Cahill. Like I said, he uh, wrote and directed this. He did another Earth. I didn't. Did you see that one? Came out a couple years ago.
0: You know, that's one that's on my uh, rental list. I think you poo pooed it enough that I didn't want to see it.
1: I never have seen it. I couldn't
0: have. I, I, no, you poo-poo things that you haven't seen.
1: I don't think I poo-pooed that one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I actually, I know, I, I falsely saddle you with the blame. I, I think we talked about it enough on the show, and we didn't quite, uh, I, I just didn't quite execute on it. I felt like, you know, I I haven't seen it, but I've seen it. You know what I, I mean?
1: I I don't, yeah, it's possible. I just don't know. I'm curious about... Uh, Another Earth, and I am curious about iOrigins. Um, it opened at Sundance earlier this year, and it uh, comes out probably limited release, I'm guessing. I don't feel that this is going to be the big uh, summer tentpole uh, film for the studio. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's going to come out in July.
0: All right. Uh, so uh, maybe we'll go see this. Maybe Looks fascinating. will. Hey, uh, okay, so I got one. Uh, I got one that I think is a fairly novel concept. Wolf cop. <laughs> <Sorry>. My <laughs> my film is uh, Richard uh, Linklater's uh, Boyhood. Have you seen, mm-hmm. Have you followed the uh, trailer of this? Have you followed the story? Oh yes. For the last twelve years, you've been following the story.
1: Well, I haven't been following it for 12 years, but I have, uh, I have heard about them talking about it the last year or so, and uh, it definitely is something that piques my curiosity. I think the thing that piques my curiosity about it is, as I recall, Stanley Kubrick was wanting to do something similar with AI when he was actually running AI. He was going to film all of the stuff with the android boy in one fell swoop. But then he was going to film all the other actors over the period of like 10 years or something so that right. he could actually get their progression of age, but his lack of progression of age.
0: Which is fascinating. Yes. Uh, didn't happen that way. It sure didn't. Uh, but luckily, old Richard Linklater was up there uh, filling, in the, uh, filling in the cultural uh, uh, vacuum. Yes. Uh, And that is what happens with boyhood. So he takes, uh, you know, this is really the story of, uh, Eller Coltrane, the actor uh, playing this uh, character Mason, who uh, they started filming at age five. The story of him as a boy, and every year around the same time, uh, between five and eighteen, they came back for a few days of shooting to to uh, really illustrate the progression of him in a in a you know just about as authentic a way uh, as you can capture growth in a, a fictional uh, film. And I think that's what's interesting to me. I mean, we've seen uh, uh, documentary films do this kind of thing, you know. We check Back in with the family, uh, seven up, twenty one up, etc. Um, mm-hmm. But but um, I I can't think of another film, another uh, drama that has done this. Can you? I don't think anything has. So that's why they're calling it original. Then mm-hmm. it uh, was uh, released at Sundance this year to uh, dare I say rave reviews. Um, people are digging this movie. The trailer, I think, is really captivating. And um, you know, who knows if Ethan Hawke and uh, Patricia Arquette uh, are, you know, I, they they seem not to change over the course of twelve years. <laughs> uh, but boy, that Eller Coltrane is—he uh, he looks pretty darn good. And uh, Lorelei Linklater and uh, Evie Thompson. Um, kind of round out the kids who we watch grow, uh, and uh, so it, it just looks like a really novel concept—the story of a of a boy going through uh, the formative years. Yeah, I I can't wait. Richard Linkletter,
1: one. I find an interesting director who has not given up his indie roots. I think there's a number of indie filmmakers who start indie, get into the Hollywood scene, and then they kind of become Hollywood directors. Uh, Richard Linkletter has certainly danced with hollywood but he still kind of goes back to doing his little indie things and his you know out of the norm things periodically i mean the before series i think is yeah. is an interesting exploration of a couple and their relationship over you know what they're coming back every it's 9 years i believe um slacker i thought was just a great uh you know kind of exploration uh, as it followed person to person um, even looking at something like Waking Life and Scanner Darkly and then, you know, he did Fast Food Nation is kind mm-hmm. of an interesting look. And then Bernie it was a really interesting way to create a narrative within the context of a, a story. And uh, so I like that Letter is still reaching out and trying to do new things, even in something that I, I guess is kind of a, you know,
0: non-indie sort of film yeah i you know i think so too i the, he's taking some really interesting kind of temporal risks and i i like that it's we're not seeing other people doing those kinds of things i think he's just a very clever um uh it, he structures his movies cleverly and i i'm very interested to see uh, how this one shakes out it makes me go back to other movies that do this guy kind of, you know i was a big fan of Believe it or not, uh, same time next year, Alan Alda, Alan th- Burstyn, I think, um, where, it, you know, it makes me want to see those kinds of movies again, but done now right. Actually film them same time next year. Make them take a break and come back in uh-huh. a year. That would, I think now all movies should be done that way. <laughs> That's what I'm Starting saying. now. Starting, starting now. <laughs> uh, very interested in this film. Boyhood opens July 11th, 2014, wide release.
1: Fantastic.
0: Uh-huh. And now, Andy, I think you know where we're going. Alarm! Damn it, I was going to do that. Do it. Hello, oh! 1981.
1: Nineteen eighty one.
0: So that's what we've decided to do with our time now. Yes. Is to go back to our favorite decade.
1: Mm-hmm. I am or, I, or year I, of a decade. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I uh I'm gonna I'm gonna start having to wear like uh my pastel uh you know my pastels and my double my, my double popped collars.
1: Uh I think I was still wearing a butterfly collar in nineteen eighty one. Probably <laughs> That wasn't very cool.
0: Oh, Andy. Well, <laughs> hey, so this is why Why did we decide, why did we pick 1981?
1: I, you know, I think it's one of those things. We were putting together uh, lists of movies that we wanted to talk about, and as we were kind of creating these lists, we realized that there was uh, just a good chunk of them that were 1981, and we were looking at that, we're like, gosh, it seemed like it was a good year. And just looking through the year, uh, it turned out there were quite a number of uh, good films um, th- that we really wanted to talk about. And so we just opted to go, hey, let's do a whole series of that year.
0: Well, and this these series, I think, are—in particular when we do—like, when you do actors, you kind of know what you're getting, I think. But in, in these years series, I think they're fascinating because you really—I don't think we know what we're getting until we're done. Right, And so I'm really, I'm, I'm very excited to talk about these movies. We've got some great movies that we're talking about. I'm very excited about these because these are, I think, generally great movies, except for maybe one, but I don't remember it all that well. So I can't <laughs> wait to get there and, and roll in the dice. And
1: see if you're right or not. Yes. yes. But uh, we did, yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark, I think is probably the, the biggest movie that came out that year that, uh, that we talked about. And next year, we're going to be talking about The Road Warrior. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, I mean, there's definitely are some, there's some big movies that came out that year that, yeah. uh,
0: yeah, I know. think one of the things that's interesting to me is, is much of the films that, many of the films that we're talking about in the series now, uh, are, I think, carry that same sort of 70s vibe, uh, that w- we were in the throes of in 1976, right? They're just, they're gritty, they're, uh, much more sort of, um, uh, kind of, they they deal with the roughness of civilization, of culture, of fear, of um, suspicion, uh, and and I'm and so it's interesting to see. I think 1981 sort of marks a transition, uh, you know, the the decade transition as we move into the more sort of frivolousness of the of the mid 80s.
1: Yeah, this this series very much could feel 70s ish. Yeah, yeah
0: very much uh so very much looking forward to that and so tonight we're kicking off with um das boot and i i think we confirmed last week we are watching the uh, we both watched the director's cut the re-release um uh, director's cut which is a non-trivial viewing experience
1: jawohl mein commandant three and a half hours
0: oh this took some some work see uh,
1: i I managed to do it in in one because, like i said I was sick so oh, I yeah, was yeah. i was home I had time to uh to sit and watch it and it was uh i you know this is one of those movies that I always feel is better in one sitting it's kind of hard to do piecemeal i think because well, it's
0: it took me two okay and, and so i you know i I've done it in one sitting obviously but i it did it did take me two this time just because of you know life um uh, well we'll talk about the the merits of this of the director's cut soon i believe you you'd said you had not seen the original
1: yeah i think that as i rewatched this and started kind of looking uh, into it i realized that i don't think i had ever seen this film until the director's cut was released theatrically in 1997 that's when i went to the theater in denver and i watched it there on the big screen in uh, uh, with the glorious new sound mix, the fantastic print. It was an amazing cinema experience, but mm-hmm. that was the first time I'd ever seen the movie.
0: The film was directed uh, by Wolfgang Peterson screenplay. Also Wolfgang Peterson, um, uh, based on the book Das boot, uh, by, uh, Lothar Gunther Buchheim, mm-hmm. uh, who was actually a war correspondent on a U-boat, uh, in, uh, during the war. Uh, Wolfgang Peterson, of course, we uh, know from, you know, outbreak. other other hits, the perfect Poseidon. the perfect storm, Troy, uh, yeah, outbreak. i would be so terrible. Yeah, the enemy, enemy. wait a minute, <laughs> enemy mine. Uh, Suck there you it. go. <laughs> uh, and uh, so you know, we know some of it. I, although I have to, there are some movies that he's done that I I I do I I quite enjoyed uh, my time with Air Force One. Uh, I, I thought the perfect storm was actually, uh, I enjoyed my time with the perfect storm deal with I, that.
1: I love the never ending story. That is one of those mm-hmm. that came out at the perfect age for me. And I think that's what probably still one of my favorite uh, children's films. From my youth, Uh, in the line of fire, I think is a great film. And I actually. Yeah, actually,
0: oh, in the line of fire is terrific.
1: Yeah, right. And outbreak, I remember enjoying outbreak at the time, but it's one of those ones I hesitate to ever rewatch because I think it may not be as good as it I have in my head.
0: I Er I can't watch. I pretty much like disease movies. I really do. (laughs) It doesn't really matter if they're. I, I think it's fair to say outbreak is on my guilty pleasure list. Oh, there you go. So I, you know, I admit that I, I don't. I'm sort of blind to to that. I love disease, hot zone movies, are Right, right, right. Really, I'm big. With those. Okay, uh, so we like uh, we generally I, I think mixed results with Wolfgang Peterson, which is why it's so interesting to go back to 1981 and look at Das Boot and and have such a generally positive feeling about this film. I do have some problems with it.
1: It's, uh, it's, you know, I, I don't know. It's a film that I, I feel like I have problems with sometimes and then I think about it and I'm like, you know, I don't really mind those problems. It doesn't really bother me too much. It's one of those movies that I, I feel so thrilled by that I find it easy to kind of look past any issues I might have with it.
0: Well, uh, okay. So can you do a, um, in under three hours, can you do a quick synopsis of the film? <laughs> In under 3 hours.
1: You know, it's actually because of the kind of episodic nature of the film, it's 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 a fairly simple story, I think. It really is about a German U-boat going out uh in the early stages of uh World War II, 1941, and it basically follows the Captain and his crew as they as they go out to sea and they battle destroyers and they play kind of the cat and mouse game of uh, are they going to find us and be able to hit us with depth charges can we hit them with torpedoes first sort of game and uh, so you got that you've got the boredom of of life in the sea while they're waiting for something to happen you've got the uh, getting lost in storms you've got the uh, going on board. A, a friendly vessel, and seeing the luxurious food that they all get to eat, and and just and you've been eating moldy bread for months under the ocean, and uh, and pl- that's really kind of the film, and it's, it's really a very much is put you inside a German U boat during World War II, so you get a sense of what it was like and how tense it could be, um, being a uh, a soldier in the war at that time as a Nazi in the, in a submarine under the ocean. And, um, but at the same time, it's very much an anti-war film. I think there are some really interesting elements of the film that, um, that come about, especially the ending that really kind of show the, uh, the pointlessness of war and just kind of the, 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 the travesty of it all. And why are we doing this? And, uh, I mean, I guess that's kind of the long and short of it.
0: Yes, uh, a couple of points. Um, first of all, one of the things that I think is, is really fascinating. Credit to you know the story itself and the book um, is that I my understanding is they are not Nazis, right? This is the German Navy, and none of these guys, with the exception of one, is technically uh, they do they do we technically classify as a Nazi right it's that first officer well, i mean we know everybody's fighting the war but these guys are circumspect about his fanatical devotion to the führer and
1: that is true and you know listening to them talk about this on the commentary i mean they acknowledge that they're all you know part of the the you know the they're soldiers that but they are following the nazi ser- regime serving the regime right but um uh, despite all that so whether they actually are calling themselves nazis or not they certainly are working for the nazis and they're doing what they are told um but they did say that the the submarine captains were very independent people and they would kind of have their own way of uh you know they their own kind of once they were out in their boat it was they they were kind of their own little government you know what i mean right And um, but at the same time, they do say that these people do have to be very careful about what they say and who they say it around, because uh, saying the wrong thing could you you never know. uh, And this was at that time when you never know somebody could be very much a, a big fanatic and would report you and that would be the end of everything for you.
0: Right, right, and that's that. That is the sense that you get, and I think they play really well. I think they they absolutely capture the the kind of microculture that that happens in you know on the boat. And I, I love the way um, the way we get the contrast of just how quickly uh, Lieutenant Werner, the war correspondent, is adopted into the crew, uh, and how sort of reticent they are to uh, to uh, adopt. Uh, you know, the first officer, Hubertus right. Bench, you know, I mean, that that is a um, I, I think that's an interesting sort of cultural observation uh, that we have during the war. Now, of course, this was late later in the war at this point, And, you know, my understanding is. The German uh, sort of the sea uh, regime was had been hit very hard. We see that in the film that they are often they often feel very much alone. They're often sort of chasing the battle. Uh, this is very much a film about bad luck at sea. Um, you know, we don't see the the valiant um, you know the valiant fight. Right? I mean, we 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 don't see the the uh, the action. That these sailors are looking for when they leave port Uh, or, you know, they become these kind of caged tigers in this, in this hole in the water. And, and we never, they never actually see the fight. And when they do see the fight, they finally see the fight. They're so dehumanized. As they destroy that uh, that uh, convoy and watch the uh, the enemy sailors on fire jumping into the water, having not been rescued. So even when they get the war they think they want, it's not the war they wanted. And I and think that's, that's fascinating. That was and a, that's
1: yeah, and that's an interesting look at the anti-war nature of the film. Yes. And and that's a particularly painful scene because it's it's clear that I think a lot of the men there. Um, I don't. I, I. I'm not sure if they. It's almost like they realize that the dehumanized nature of just the the gameplay of of fighting, shooting torpedoes, boom, the ship goes down, all of that sort of stuff. They. It's almost like they lose track of that humanize or that human element of it. And when they see those people, it it all kind of comes rushing back because I mean, some of them are just breaking down as they right. watch these guys. And then the captain has to make the hard choice of. Pulling the boat away from these people who are swimming toward them, to just let every single
0: person there drown. Right, because where are you going to put survivors on a submarine that is packed to the gills with these people?
1: Yeah, it's packed. I, I guess that in uh, non-war time, in peacetime, they would. I think they said they would have uh, twenty-four people on a sub, a crew of 24 during wartime, it would be 48 people. So they would double it. So, I mean, there is just no room for anything, especially if they were out at sea for a while. And if they're not going back to port and they take all these people on board, they're going to run out of supplies. and They're not going to run out of space. They just don't have anything to keep prisoners.
0: Right, right that's uh, that is uh, i i think this film does a, a terrific job of, of kind of capturing that the and and i think that goes to the um very much to the the experience we have in the claustrophobic innards of this u-boat oh yeah uh, if there's one thing we can say about the production design it is that they captured claustrophobia they and, actually and sweat
1: and grime and just just constant, like, moisture on everything. And, yeah, it, it really feels like you are in this U-boat with these people. They actually built the, the uh, interior of this U-boat that they built. They built it to spec, pretty much, mm-hmm. um, with actual like steel and everything. It's not like cardboard walls or anything. I mean, it's actually steel walls. So, and they had it, the whole set on gimbals. So they would be rocking it back and forth to get the movement of uh, of it going up and then going down uh, in the water. And when it was getting attacked by the depth charges and everything like that, it would get shaked and, and everybody would be rattling around. And, and you'd have to be careful because, I mean, if you smacked into something, I mean, you're hitting a, a, a steel wall, you can very easily end up with bruises.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So, I mean, it was a very accurate. The, the, that was one thing that Wolfgang Peterson really wanted to bring to this film was 100% authenticity and accuracy to really make people feel like they were there.
0: Did we, as a, a complete aside, did we confirm that the the submarine that they used in this was the same one as in Raiders? We,
1: you mean, did we talk about it in Raiders? Yeah, yeah. I couldn't remember if we brought that up in Raiders, but it is the it one. It is that the they same one, yeah. yeah. Yes, in fact, he um Wolfgang talks about how Steven Spielberg actually unscrewed some critical p- component off of their boat and messed their boat up for them. <laughs> and he said there's a there's actually a shot in um I I feel like it's when it's, it's first pulling out or something I can't remember exactly where it is in the film. If you look carefully at the shot, you can actually see the 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 one of the pieces actually separating.
0: Oh, that's so funny. I didn't notice it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I didn't notice it, but I heard him talking about it, so it's uh yeah it's it's kind of funny that uh that uh that they did that, especially when when uh, uh indiana jones is is going to fight the Nazis.
0: <laughs> That's fascinating. Uh okay, so uh, you know, generally they 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 nailed the production design uh of this film. It's it is extremely claustrophobic and I think they did a, a you know, a, they did a terrific job uh kind of molding our experience with the crew. Um and, and part of that owing to the the sheer length of the film, uh we have a lot this film offers a lot of breathing room to actually get to know every single character. Uh, at at some level of depth
1: yeah and uh, I think uh, one of the things that helps with that is just in the casting process I mean aside from like the bigger roles like Jürgen Prochnow and uh, and Herbert Gronemeyer they um, really wanted faces and uh, Wolfgang actually had his casting agent go all over Germany and Austria finding young faces um, you know People who are 18 to 24, uh, not just actors who could act, but, I mean, they were looking in boxing clubs. They were looking just everywhere they could find people with great faces so that when you see them, they look like people who um, uh, would potentially be on a U-boat. But also there were faces that uh, had some of that personality in them so you could kind of easily separate
0: people. Um, Two words, the ghost. Erwin later uh, plays the Johan, the chief mechanic, Mm. and his is quite possibly the most unique face I've seen in film.
1: It is pretty uh, kind of uh,
0: (laughs) ghostly. He's ghostly, but that's what makes him so interesting. When you meet him for the first time, you know, they're showing um, Lieutenant Werner around uh, and we see him and they they introduce him as the ghost and he's standing in the engine room and he's, he looks menacing, 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 terrifying. And yet he is the one that undergoes the breakdown. Mm -hmm. Uh, Panic strikes and he he freaks out and tries to leave the submarine while it's underwater. Mm Mm-hmm. Which uh, related safety tip? Don't ever try to do that on a submarine. <laughs> <laughs> so he tries to leave, and they—they, they, you know—the the rest of the crew uh, shovels him off down the the um, down the hall there, and protect him from the captain who's about to come unhinged all over him. And we see just briefly the captain has stepped out and comes back with a gun, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that the break. And the, apolog- the ensuing apology is extremely powerful, coming from this incredibly unique face. Uh, I, I think the the look of this character is just, uh, you know, it, I find it really hard to imagine uh, anybody else on this uh, on this boat making that apology stick. Yeah, it's an inc- yeah. incredibly dramatic scene for me.
1: Yeah, coming from a. a, a, a- I I think the look of his character defines so much about him, but I think that the, the portrayal is is so strong as yeah. well and i mean just and and i'm i don't know how much of it was in the script how much of it came from the book how much of it came from talking to people who were really there but moments where like the engineer he's as he's walking and examining his engine he pulls out that little ear thing and he sticks and listens it in to it and he listens to the the interior workings of his engine i mean that moment always sticks with me. It's one of those things that just is, I find so fascinating about him.
0: Well, and that's uh, I, you know, I think that's really great. And I think that extends to the rest of the relationship with the machine that you, you really get a sense of intimacy that these men have with this, with the machine. Yeah. You know, and that, that I think is, is fascinating. Um, the uh you know we we do get a sense of the the loss uh that these guys are feeling you know we we know that the chief engineer um is you know he's uh dealing with a uh, his wife is uh, has sort of unknown uh condition uh, mm-hmm. And so he's struggling with that, trying to do his duty, but but life kind of intervenes. We know that you know one of the other younger uh, crewmen um, that has gotten a French woman pregnant, and um, that you know we're given a sense of just how terrifying the prospect of that is um, to have a a half german half French uh, child is is uh, i I think it's uh, under. States it to say it's frowned upon by yeah. the the Fuhrer, and <laughs> and and so we have a lot of of these you know it, you know as we're getting to know the the crew, uh, I, I think they do a pretty darn good job of showing that there is a separation between the war and uh, life. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah,
1: I I I, I definitely agree with that.
0: Well, all right then. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's no, it's it is, uh, and I think you see a lot of that when um, when uh, Werner, the war correspondent, is given a chance to actually get off the boat uh, along with Veneman or Klaus Veneman, the chief engineer, to um, because uh, the captain knows they're going to have to basically go on the suicide mission. He's trying to get these guys off the boat. And when uh, Werner actually takes these letters from this young guy who's written to his pregnant, uh, I think he had married her, right? Yeah. Did I, I think so. I, I'm I actually not sure. I'm not I can't sure. quite remember no. if they had married or not. But uh he and and when they don't when they um get different uh instructions and they're actually not able to leave and he has to go back and give these letters to the kid. I mean it's it's it really is heartbreaking. Yeah, it's
0: heartbreaking. Uh yeah, they he was just a fiance. They were not married. Okay. Um so okay. So now uh the controversy i'm gonna I'm gonna just say it, I think it's too long <laughs> okay now
1: I don't why, know if that's controversial.
0: Why is it so long? It is so long now i and and I honestly I don't think I think you cut the hour, and I don't think you lose anything from the big there is so much so there are so many discrete sequences of tens of minutes of waiting, right? So many of them uh, that I think you don't actually have to cut any dialogue and you still cut an hour of this film and you have the same, thing. you have the same experience. So I ask you as somebody who watched it in one sitting this time around, what do you think? I mean, am I totally crazy structurally from a, from let just the architecture of the, of the, the script and the into production. Am I, am I nuts? I don't
1: know. I I don't know if I'd say you're nuts, but I okay. I, I will I will pitch it both ways, for you. All right, please. Um, I think you could easily shorten the film and make it you know a two-hour film, and you can have uh, well, and and honestly, I haven't seen the shorter version, which is uh, it is around two hours, I believe. Um, 150 minutes. Okay, it's a so little. Right, it's than,
0: right over two, just over two hours. Lots of movies that are and great. And half, it's two and a half. That hours. are right in so that It's a full, two and a half it's hour, full hour shorter.
1: Yeah, um, I, I know. I know they uh, have the whole beginning is gone. It, I think it starts in the bar or in the in the kind of the pub.
0: So we don't have um, the the fire drill where all the soldiers are urinating on the car. Correct. We don't have
1: that. Um, there's a little less of the cat and mouse. Um, I, I, Gosh, I can't remember. I know he talked about kind of some of the stuff that he added back in, but I can't quite remember what it all is. Um, you could definitely shorten it down. I think that you probably would be fine. You'd still would have, you'd build to that end and you'd have gotten to know the characters enough where um, you're still going to be connected to them so that when the... Uh, the British planes come flying low and basically obliterate everyone and everything in their path. um, You're still going to be devastated at how the film ends. I think that that can still work in a shorter version of the film. Um, I think that it works in the longer version. uh, This, this director's cut, I feel that it works as is uh, because there's more time to spend with the characters. There's more time to spend in the times of boredom and in the times of uh, tension and in the times of joy. Uh, one of the t- scenes of joy is when they're all kind of uh, celebrating and they've got that one soldier dressed up with like the little oranges hanging over his chest. Right. That was one of the scenes that they added back in because uh, I, I believe that they cut that originally because... Uh, uh, um Buchheim said um that they never would have done that uh, a captain would have never let you know behavior like that on his uh submarine something like that so they cut it from the original version but um I, I enjoy having more character moments and just more time with the characters so that by the time I get to the end I feel like I've invested more time in these characters so I feel that that ending is even more devastating
0: It is devastating I'm not saying that uh and, and
1: yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I you know me. I I yeah. have a, a penchant for long films that have a lot of detail in them. I really enjoy Ye, um, and so this film doesn't. I don't find it slow. I actually really enjoy the pacing of it. I enjoy the time I get to spend with these characters. I enjoy the uh, the nature of the different scenes. I enjoy some of the repetition of some of the scenes, um, but I. I don't blame you. And I don't think I'd blame anybody for saying, I think I would rather stick with the 150 minute version.
0: Well, and that's, I I think this is an interesting point because unlike Yee Yee, which I had a terrible experience getting through, uh, this one, I don't have a terrible experience getting through it. And, and I'm with you on, um, the fact that I, I also enjoy, like as I'm watching it, I enjoy the, my experience with the film. I'm just saying structurally it is there. I don't, You know, we talked. I I think last year, sometime, I went on this bender where I had like four episodes in a row where I was really talking about restraint, right? Mm -hmm. And this whole concept of cinematic restraint and being able to to cut your babies, right? You, You you just this happens when you're writing long format pieces where you're doing documentary films, you you fall in love with things and you have to be able to cut them to make the the best film possible. It's not so far that I, so much that I have a, uh, a terrible time getting through this film and I, I'm just horribly bored and I I fall asleep. I actually can get through it. Okay. I feel like it shows a lack of restraint that, um, that Peterson just was not able to apply to this film. uh, And, uh, and, and I, so I see that as a failure of, of direction and editing, uh, to be able to, to create a tight, uh, absorbing story that gives us the same kind of emotional reaction. It, when you look at the, well, the other versions, I mean, think about it. This thing was then released again, uh, as the mini series and- released again as a dvd release at 293 minutes right das boot the original uncut version that includes even more crap that we probably have seen already well
1: which is essentially just i think the miniseries cut together
0: yeah that's what it is so there's more stuff we did not see in the director's cut that was added back in 2004 for this original uncut version the miniseries well, um, I, I think
1: you're being a little harsh because you're you're judging it all on the director's cut, and you're you're saying all this about uh, him not having restraint, not being able to cut, um, when he did. You just need to go back and watch the original version because that's the version that it sounds like you would rather watch. And it's there. It's in existence. And you can easily go watch that version. I I don't think you
0: can. I don't think you you can can. easily go. You don't naturally go easily watch it. You just don't do that. I have it sitting right here next to me. But look at what film you chose to watch well because the, i the I director's cut used to watch the no 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 but by by definition the director's cut becomes the canonical version i there i just can't think of of it, too many movies where the director's cut is not supplant, doesn't supplant the original release
1: well but but it's not something that uh is uh by definition a requirement and as somebody who can make his own mind up you have those two versions <laughs> presented to you and you jerk. can very easily go back and say okay, <laughs> this director's cut is an hour of extra fluff I don't want. As someone I'm going to, who I'm can go- <laughs> make his mind up
0: we're going to do that, passive-aggressive man?
1: You're saying like, it, uh, oh, the director's cut's there.
0: That's the only one I can watch now. I'm. What I'm saying is, by de- when uh, why does the director go back and do a director's cut? Why does he do because that?
1: He wants to add more to it.
0: Right, right.
1: But it doesn't <laughs> because in, mean
0: typically, in some way, shape, or form, he felt that the commercial, uh, the commercial constraints around the original theatrical release caused him to release a movie that was not his original intention. Would you agree so, with that?
1: Yes, but not in this particular case. In the case of this film, this was actually commissioned. To make a, a a theatrical version and a TV miniseries, he actually that was a whole package that he was commissioned to do. And so, in 1981, he created the theatrical version, and then he re-edited everything together to make this five-hour uh, TV miniseries that was released in 1985. And that was that was it. Now, what happened in between is. Um, he realized, gosh, you know, I do like some of that stuff from from that I did have to cut out, and I I think people actually came to him and saying we'd love some of that stuff put back in, and and he kind of got uh, uh, talked into it, and I think he I think he happily got talked into it, I should say. So when 1997 came along. And 1996, I believe, when they started, um, he was ready to jump back in and actually extend it. But I, from nothing that I have heard, did he really say that he was unhappy with that version that he released in 1981, that well, he felt that it that it was not the version that he wanted to tell?
0: I have a quote in my notes, and I am desperately looking to find the source. I think it's on Das Boot, the director's cut, uh, dasboot.com, somewhere in Classics. Uh, Where it does, I have written down here that uh, Peterson originally wanted to release this film in 1981, but for commercial uh, reasons, he was not able to do so. Speaking of the director's cut. Mm, okay so I, i'm just saying like this this fits the model it fits the model of directors not being able to do what they want and in this case i think he made it worse i think he didn't apply the restraint or, or he didn't uh he didn't allow the original let's just say the 1981 And i haven't watched it in years so i i have no really sense memory of what what was gained or lost let's just say that that was the one that i i uh, you know that that actually fits the model and tells a great great submarine war story. And I think dust boot is, uh, but to, to go back and, and want to, to add this extra hour, I think is a sign of, of, um, kind of falling prey to whatever it is. He's falling prey to ego or uh, whatever, falling in love and not being able to cut his babies. That's my, that's my point. You got to cut your babies, Andy. Well, he did cut his baby. Didn't cut his baby. He didn't want to cut his babies. <laughs> Leave it alone. See,
1: I I would have to see the original to to really have uh, much stake in the game because I really like this version, and uh, I I you know maybe if I watch the other and go oh okay yeah I guess I I feel much uh, I feel that it, it has much more intensity I don't know but as it is I I do like this version quite a bit.
0: All right, well I'm gonna I'm gonna have to add that to my list and go find out where I can get the original <laughs> theatrical release. There you go. I'm watching them all.
1: I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you the, uh, the ultimate version <laughs> for, <just, laughs> for Christmas. Four
0: and a half hours. Right. Four hours and fifty three minutes. Uh, okay, uh, let's see. So, um, man, see now I was on, off on my little bender here. I forgot my where we were. What were we were talking I, about. Well, that?
1: I will say the one thing that, that always strikes me as, uh, like I never, I always feel like I'm missing something, which is funny in a three and a half hour movie. I feel like I'm actually missing something. (laughs) (laughs) We go through this whole rigmarole of getting through uh, uh, the Strait of Gibraltar, Mm -hmm. right? And they get sunk and they have to, you know, do everything they can to get the boat working. This is essentially
0: the, uh, I think this is the ninth act.
1: Yeah, it is, it is really, yes, the the final, uh, uh, the last bit of the film here. Right, and they finally get the boat up and they, they you know, they make it, right? <laughs> you feel like you need another hour to decompress? No, uh, I, there was like some, I mean, I know that the captain had gotten this, like, you're going to have to go through the Strait of Gibraltar and you're going to have to uh, do this awful, you know, awful thing and it's like the suicide mission and everything but then we never see what it is that they actually have to go do once they're over in the strait of Gibraltar and they're over in the Mediterranean the next thing we see once they get everything working and everybody's happy again is they're they're going back to port back right, off go, um, the coast of France right and And uh, which is great. I mean, that's a very powerful scene. And I understand it's, you know, progression of time. And, and we're looking at kind of the the overall scope of the journey of the sub. But, um, uh, and obviously, that last scene has tremendous impact. Um, But I'm just like, okay, but what were they what was the whole thing that they had to go into the Mediterranean to do that was so important that they had to send them over there in the first place? And then how did they get back through? I mean, it's it, they have to go back through the Strait of Gibraltar to get out of it.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, wasn't that the end where they just you know, once they they uh come back up to the surface, they, they floor it and and he stands and he, he pulls uh Peter Sellers on a rocket and he's no, screaming no, no. They but... can't see us, they can't see us <laughs> 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 I don't think it was ever Peter Sellers on a rocket. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean, uh, right? I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was. Uh, you know, he yeah, was, I, I that know was the it, end, yes. right? Uh, well, wasn't but that they, him? But that was them leaving the the thing. That wasn't them continuing their way through Gibraltar, the straight of Gibraltar? No,
1: they they go back into the Mediterranean. I that was my impression. Is they 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 resurface and they finish going into the Mediterranean.
0: Oh, okay. Did you
1: think that they... uh, Because otherwise, what was the point of the whole mission?
0: This whole movie is about them not succeeding in their points. (laughs) This whole movie is about them being given a mission and failing for some reason (laughs) or another. That's the whole movie. By the end of the movie, there's no no surprise that they failed. Well, no. I mean, there's not. Especially when
1: it opens, giving you such bleak statistics. Right. (laughs) It's like, okay, well...
0: (sighs) Oh, this is going to not going to be a story of a joy <laughs> that's it. so that's it i mean i think after they 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 spent like what 18 hours underwater right on the floor 16 18 hours whatever on the on this shelf the shovel full of sand on our under our tail and they do all that work <laughs> pouring buckets of water out of in the the fireman line which i mean it's just it's horrifying. The experience underwater is horrifying. I think they they just nailed that. And then they when they get up, I think the first thing they do is they they turn around. There's I get no sense that they actually finish their mission.
1: Well, but see, and maybe that's just me, is because they do a good job of establ- establishing left to right versus right to left, as far as which direction the sub is sailing. And when they pop back up after they finally get out, they're going the same direction that they were when they were going into the uh, Strait you know, that's of Walter, re- that's, that's making me point. feel like they go into the Mediterranean, and then we never really see the mission. Next thing we see is they're back at the port in La Rochelle on the west coast of France, uh, docking over there into the uh, into the harbor, and they're greeting everybody. I mean, obviously, and that's you know the story is you know this is just part of this overall journey of this sub, and we've seen the the hardest hardship that they've made, and maybe by the time they're leaving the Mediterranean, it's not they they get out rather easily. I don't know, um, but uh, I don't know. I just I always feel like they go in there and and then we don't actually see any of the mission. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I, you know, I find that generally is is it my sense that oh my gosh, yeah, that that I think goes back to your earlier point about the the futility of war that this well, that sure, this conjures yeah. up. Like if they had if we'd actually seen their mission, um, you know, I I think that it we may not have had such a strong point uh, about the futility of war. Yeah. Right? If as soon as they show them actually trying to be successful at being soldiers, um, then we then you know then it's a different kind of war movie.
1: Well, maybe that's in the TV version.
0: Who knows? Oh, God, you're going to make me watch that. <laughs> uh, let's talk about let's just run through uh, some of the people. Uh, you know obviously Wolfgang Peterson, we've talked a little bit about. Anything else we want to talk about the direction and the the screenplay.
1: Uh, Well, I I do want to say before Wolfgang was given this film uh, to direct, this was a film that um, I mean, this is a a, a German story written by a German war correspondent who was actually on this German U-boat when uh, the book came out. I believe in the uh, the early 70s, the um, um, it was it was a big success. A lot of people wanted it. Um, and Hollywood actually um, started trying to option it. And the first person who was uh, slated to direct it was actually John Sturges, which surprised me. I was like, wow, that's an interesting, uh, interesting yeah. choice. And and with Robert Redford playing the captain. Right. And then um, that didn't pan out um, because I think they wanted to push the story so that it took place later in the war so that they could include Americans in the story. And um, I don't think that the German people involved were thrilled about that idea. So then Don Spiegel came on to direct it, and he brought Paul Newman to play the uh, sub-captain. Something there didn't work out, and finally Wolfgang Peterson was brought in. They said, let's do it with with Germans. Let's make it German. It should be a German story made by German filmmakers.
0: Which was the right choice.
1: Absolutely the right choice. And his first choice of actor for the captain was Jürgen Prochnow, which, uh, you know, I, uh, thank God because I think he, uh, he will perennially be in my head as a U-boat captain. Yes. No matter what I see him in, he will always be the captain of U-boat who happens to also be in prison in, uh, the, in, you know, the Soviet country because he's some terrorist like in air force one or something.
0: Yes, totally agree. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, fantastic
1: yeah i haven't seen him in
0: a whole lot lately have you no um there it's it, there there is oh gosh he was in um the last in... thing i saw him in and this is really unfortunate was a terrible 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 film called primeval mm and I think it was a Netflix uh, streaming thing, but it was a, oh, gi- was a it giant was a giant crocodile, giant crocodile movie, and right, it was right. not good. It was not good. But you know, it stars. Uh, it also stars Dominic Purcell, who is, I think, we've said, uh, transcended in his role in Prison Break, guilty which, pleasure, right, which I've never seen, right.
1: <laughs> but uh, yeah, but uh, Jurgen has been in Twenty Four and yep. NCIS yep. La um so definitely he's somebody who's been uh yeah i guess i should
0: say you're right uh, 24 and i obviously have seen him in 24 i forgot about that
1: yeah so i mean he's but i mean he's a guy who's been in just so much stuff he's been around for a very long time and uh yeah he's just one of those guys who's got a face that uh you know he looks good and beat up but uh he does a great, uh, just a great job, and he's always memorable. I always think of him, there's like a few things I always think of him and This is one of them. Dune is another one, and um, I, I probably, I mean, I, I, it, I guess it's a little sad, but it's, uh, it is it uh, is Air Force One in mm. his bit, bit part in that. Right. And the English patient. I enjoy him in the English patient.
0: Oh, I totally forgot he was in that. Yeah. Okay, so there's Jürgen Prochnow. Yeah. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about Herbert Gronemeyer, um, who is, you know, great, I think, as the, as the war correspondent. He's, you know, we sort of see the film through his eyes. Right. Uh, and it's, it's his perspective that we're, that we're getting here. And aptly so, since the author of the book was, was in that same role. Uh, and,
1: and most interesting thing about him is Herbert, uh, went on after this to become a kind of a, a German rock star. And uh, has released a number of albums. I guess his his fifth and eleventh albums that he released are the third and first best-selling records in Germany. Wow! So he actually is the most successful artist in Germany with combined album sales over three million. Thirteen wow. million. Sorry, thirteen million. Yeah. Wow, that's like what's
0: his name, the piano player from Entertainment Tonight. Oh, John Tess. <laughs> <laughs> well he does do I, some soft
1: rock i didn't
0: I, that's not a that, <laughs> I, i'm gonna say that's likely not an apt comparison that's probably not
1: <laughs> probably not
0: uh that is very interesting about mr uh herger mm-hmm. uh anybody else uh, that you really want to join the problem my problem is i don't know any of the rest of the cast Really?
1: No, I know I know Klaus Veneman who plays the uh the chief engineer. I know he went on to do a good number of German stuff. I think he became very popular in Germany after after this film. I don't know what those projects are, but yeah. I heard he became very popular in Germany. Um Yeah, I don't know who else uh really ended up uh doing much, but uh but like we well, said the cast has just a lot of uh, of great faces of people who really feel like they belong in a U boat.
0: You know, here's the the funny thing. You know, we talked about Irwin later, right? Um, right. And he went on to do uh, Three Musketeers uh, with, you know, um, you know Charlie Sheen and Kiefer Sutherland, right? The American Three Musketeers. Uh, he did. He was in Schindler's List. Uh, he was in Underworld in two thousand three. Oh, uh, well, There you go. So uh, you know he went on, and yet I—that's a face I can't—I can't place. And his is, I think, the most sort of, besides Brok, now perhaps the the iconic face from this film. Why can't I remember him? I and just of can't.
1: course, uh, they don't have any stinking uh, pictures of him on IMDb. No. Oh, okay. Though the when I look at him, I'm like, okay, yes. Yeah.
0: I, I think uh, I he may have been. Was he? he wasn't because i am thinking back to, <laughs> i'm thinking back to three musketeers right i know tim curry was the bad guy but uh he was he like one of the like the head of the soldiers um i, I don't know
1: of. i don't know but i man i'm just looking at images of him on imdb and yeah he has been in a lot of things oh
0: he was a peasant in Musketeers. Uh, <laughs> all right, enough about that, so uh, anyhow, uh, lots of things uh, we I don't know about the rest of the cast in Dust boot, but they were great in Dust boot, so
1: yes, they were. Yes. Um, it, briefly, the music uh, yeah, Klaus Doldinger, I think, is uh, uh, he wrote some great music for this. Sometimes the kind of uh, um, uh, synthetic sound of it feels out of place. Um, but i do like the themes
0: yes yeah i do i you know that the main theme da, 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 is just yeah, i mean that's just you know that extremely memorable little earworm absolutely in that main theme
1: and and klaus did some of the music for the never ending story he did like half the score for that which i always found interesting it was like the score was split in half between <laughs> between him and uh, i can't remember the other guy's name but uh yeah
0: fascinating
1: the uh yeah so so that's the music uh cinematography uh Vakano, I think is uh um really pulled out a lot of stops to make this film look great and uh it fits within kind of the the feel of being in the sub uh, interesting notes about the cinematography for this they actually um they didn't use a steady cam for this cuz the rig was too big to fit within this sub so they actually came up with this uh, kind of this uh, um, a gyroscope stabilization system for this little small handheld camera that they were using
0: that to they film in- with. practically invented for this right, film. Right,
1: exactly, and it was so noisy that they pretty much had to loop every line in the film. I think there was only like one or two scenes where they had the camera completely locked off. And we're able to just take it off of this thing. Hey, you um, know, I
0: wanted to ask you about that. You've done a lot of ADR stuff, right? I mean, you can you talk about the scope of that kind of project? I mean, I know we do a lot of, of dubbing in film, but I I personally have not uh, on my projects. They don't really call for it. So, I, can you talk a little bit about that process? What that? You well, know?
1: I've I've actually never have had to do it. Really. Um, No, I mean, yeah, it just, it it really depends on the nature of the project. And I I think I've, you know, most of the projects I've worked on, we've, you know, been in situations where we were just getting clean audio, we didn't have to worry about it. But I mean, the nature of it is if you don't have clean audio when you're recording, you basically need to loop that scene over and over again. And the actor has to come in and, and watch it and kind of get their voice timed and listen to it and, and basically just say it over and over again. Sometimes it's to get a better performance. Sometimes it's to get clean audio. Um, A lot of countries, a lot of European countries, um, were not really worrying about clean audio for a lot of the film production. Um, When we talk later in the year about the Man with No Name trilogy, um, that certainly holds true for for Sergio Leone and his films, where they pretty much like the, the standard practice in the filmmaking in Italy of the time was dove everything over. Um, They would just not worry about the sound and then they would just come in and dub all the audio over. Uh, Wolfgang Peterson talked about how they were just used to that in Germany of just going in and dubbing lines. So to them, it didn't sound like it was any big deal. They were just like, okay, well, we're going to be dubbing the lines anyway, so let's not worry about the sound.
0: I think that's fantastic.
1: I mean, crazy and difficult. I mean it yeah. just seems it seems like one extra layer of having to go back in and try to get everything to line up and it, it seems exhausting to me.
0: Exhausting on on a film that has as uh we've already talked about precious little restraint. No. That's just a lot of that's a lot of dialogue. Luckily there's a lot of, you know, serious looking too. But there is. There
1: is <laughs> and, and explosions. Explosions, right? Yeah. But the um uh, yeah and and the this you know the nice thing about the cinematography and the way that they were able to shoot this is that uh Yost was able to get some really long shots, and there's one scene I can't remember where it is in the film, I think it's about an hour and a half in where they um something is happening, and everybody runs from one end of the the sub to the other i think yeah. to help help it rise faster, help it to descend faster mm-hmm. and um and the camera basically follows the crew as they run from one end of the ship to the other like he goes the entire length of the ship into the last room where everybody is kind of piled together and when you think about it this is the cinematographer holding a camera looking through his lens piece um, with somebody with his uh, his focus puller running with him with the 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 the, uh, cord to kind of rack focus as they're running going through all the little ports and the doors and running behind people and dodging things all the way from one end of the ship to the other.
0: It's amazing, and you have to watch the film and think about that specifically. These guys, decked out in pads, slamming through this tiny submarine. It's amazing to think about as you're watching the film.
1: Yeah, it is. And and it's hard to even— think about it because you get so invested in those moments in the story where like I didn't even catch that like when I watched the film I'm just so wrapped up in the fact that these guys have to get quick get to the other end of the ship that I I missed the shot you know
0: well and I remember thinking about it this time around that you know my assumption going into the film before I started reading up on it was clearly there are rails right clear there must be rails that we're not seeing somehow uh, and and this camera's got to be on rails to w- w- to finally learn that they they actually put you know put him in pads and just let him let him run, let him run. because it's <laughs> so so steady yeah right it really is a, a it there's uh, the very little shaky cam right yeah. i mean it just feels really solid it
1: makes you wonder um why this gyroscopic stabilization system that they kind of created hasn't been kind of expanded upon to yeah uh, and maybe maybe it has maybe it has been incorporated into the modern Steadicam systems who knows but but i do find the camera work very uh, very smooth while also being very alive
0: i agree yeah anything else on your list for uh before we uh begin to oh, descend yeah. what else well, you
1: got uh, um i i think that there are a few other interesting elements the um uh, the nature of this was something that uh uh wolfgang was talking about the nature of making a film like this this was a a film that was essentially made about germans um, by germans in uh, in the early eighties germany um, as as Wolfgang says they have there's a big guilt thing in Germany, and they were never even able to kind of make stories about themselves unless they made themselves out to be the enemy and to tell this story of German soldiers who uh, they weren 't necessarily the enemy, we were actually following along with them there were a lot of people in germany who were very kind of um kind of up in arms the fact that they were actually even uh, going to make this film and a little horrified that uh this film was going to get made uh, even though the book was out there but i think people looked at the book as kind of a journalistic thing right uh, looking at the film it's like well now you're just making it uh, making the the soldiers out to look good and it's a you know pro nazi propaganda sort of thing and um when the film came out in 1981 in germany it actually um uh did really well but the critics just really just dug into it and and uh, they just were kind of ashamed that these filmmakers made this and then when when uh, wolfgang and jürgen came over they premiered it at the la film festival in the us in early 1982 they were actually terrified that they were going to be showing this German film about uh, German uh, soldiers in World War II to Hollywood, a very kind of uh, left-leaning people. And there are a lot of Jews there. Um, they were kind of um, really nervous. And he said that the film began, and you've got that opening text uh, kind of describing the whole, the, the nature of submarines and how... What was it? Thirty thousand out of forty thousand of the soldiers who went out to sea in submarines never returned. Right, right. And, and he said people started applauding at oh. that statistic at the beginning of the film, and he and Yurga just like sunk in their seats. They were like horrified, and then um, and then the movie started, and um, people just got sucked into it. And by the time the film ends. Um, they got a standing ova- ovation. People caught on that this was not a pro-Nazi film. This was a film about the madness of war and about kind of the the horrors of uh, everything that is going on in, in wartime and how even these people who are just brought along in these situations – Um, Just because you call them a Nazi or or working for the Nazis, however you want to define it, doesn't necessarily mean that they are. And they are essentially nothing but humans who happen to be uh, doing their job. And this is an opportunity to get to see this and see the horrible things that people are subjected to when they are fighting in a war.
0: Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. I did not know that. I did not catch that. Yeah, pretty. Uh, uh, I know. Yeah, I think uh, I think I'm more of a modern, spacious submarine kind of a guy. More of a like a, um, you know, who who was it in uh, Spy Who Loved Me had the undersea lair? Mm. Yep. Yeah. Blofeld.
1: With the the giant, it wasn't Blofeld, wasn't it?
0: Blofeld. Who was the no. bad guy in Spy Who Loved Me? Are you looking it up? I can. I'm doing it right now. Okay, you do it. You talk about your next but thing. But it
1: definitely, it definitely wasn't a submarine. It was the giant frog. No, it was frog. the lair.
0: It was the giant frog yeah. lair. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. With the sharks.
0: The sharks. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah.
1: Did you mention dasboot.com? Yes. I love that it's like you go to the website and it says, <laughs> click here to enter the 1997 yeah.
0: website.
1: <laughs> it's like, yes, it still is from 1997. It's, it is a fun little website to kind of poke through, though.
0: Stromberg. Ah, how could you ever forget Karl Stromberg? I don't know. He how did I forget? Kurt Jurgens. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, good. Where do we go from here? Do you have more on your list?
1: Well, I do think that it's worth pointing out. If you go to Munich, you can actually uh, go visit the uh, Bavaria studios where uh, the film was filmed, where all of the uh, interiors of the submarine uh, and everything were filmed. Coincidentally enough, I don't know if it's a, really a coincidence, but this is actually the studio where Alfred Hitchcock made his first film, The Pleasure Garden, back in 1925.
0: Well, that is a coincidence. Yeah.
1: So, um,. Uh, if you are in the area, we will uh, certainly put the the link in the show notes. <laughs> you can go check out Bavaria Film Bavaria Studios. Bavaria Film they actually, Studios. They actually have the um, the full scale model. There were three models made in the film. There was the full scale model, which was only designed as like a floating boat. That's just the top of the sub that people could stand on when it's going in and out of port, and that's the one that Spielberg kind of played me- messed with. There's the Three meter version, which is the one that they would put in a tank and they would they would be, you know, for the, all of the uh, scenes underwater when you see it kind of going past you or coming toward you. That was that one. And then there's the longer one, which I 11 meters, I think and that was the one that could actually dive under uh, under the water. And for that one, they actually had little like Barbie dolls on the top that they could push a button, and the little Barbie people would kind of duck down <laughs> so when a wave hit, it looks like they're ducking
0: um
1: and yeah. speaking of speaking of model work, I do think it's interesting to to just mention when you film models obviously you can't film it at the same speed because it'll be obviously off, and so you have to i think they said they filmed at fifty five frames per second with the eleven meter. Model so that it, when it's in the waves, when they play that back at 24 frames per second, it actually looks natural. And I mean, you you watch the film; it is kind of hard to tell that you're
0: looking at a model uh, boat out there. Yeah, there are some that are better than the Barbie dolls. Scenes are you can pretty much tell. There were some <laughs> that 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 looked decidedly less uh, like they like they held up less uh, less well. Right, like the Barbie yeah. took on some water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
1: You know, I think the best thing, jumping back to the Bavarian Film Studios, I mean, I I want to go now because you can actually get your picture taken on the luck dragon from The NeverEnding Story. <laughs> it's like ah. 1984, that movie came out, and that's one of the highlights.
0: Oh, my goodness. I would love a framed picture of you get sitting on the luck on dragon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it looks like they've got, yeah, see, so they've got the submarine, and they, it looks like they've got the, um, I think it's the enemy mine uh I don't know the ship that he crashes in maybe
0: wow I don't know
1: i can't I don't know what that is I, I don't know what I'm looking at that's awesome
0: yeah i I think we uh i think you know I think this is a great film to kick off our nineteen eighty one uh, story I think it is and and you know as much as I complain about uh about it being too long and lack of restraint and all that stuff, this is a fantastic film and and it the intent of the film I think. To capture the anti-war story through the eyes of the the German military, I think is is really, but it's outstanding, um, and it's it's certainly uh, worth talking about.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it it did get um, some Oscar recognition because of that too. It sure I mean- did it uh, never got nominated for best picture or best foreign language film because of the awkwardness of it came out in 1981 in Germany. They weren't eligible for the Oscars in the U S until 1982. So there was some weird rule. And so, but they did get nominated for uh, best sound effects, editing, best cinematography. uh, Let's see what else, best film editing, best sound and uh, best writing. And I think there was one more. Am I skipping one?
0: Best length.
1: And, oh, and best directing. Best uh, Wolfgang <laughs> Peterson. But didn't win any, but it no. did get nominated for those. And it it held the record. And I can't remember if this record was broken or not, but it did hold the record for a very long time of the the highest grossing foreign language film. As far as the U.S. is
0: concerned. Oh. Yeah. All right. So I say, they, I you know, I, so in terms of budget, uh, how how the numbers turn out?
1: This film cost about um, now. It's interesting because the budget for this film incorporates the full six uh, hour or the five hour version, but it did cost twelve million dollars at the time to make. Which, considering the length, is actually probably yeah, pretty that's good. Not bad. Um, yeah, and uh, I think it. Uh, let's see. It ended up making domestically adjusted uh about almost 30 million dollars adjusted and internationally about uh 188 million dollars so the film made a heck of a lot of money it is the highest ranking uh foreign language film that we've talked about on our show certainly by a long shot yeah, yeah. Adjusted profit per finished minute um almost $900,000 per finished minute. And that that is looking at a 209 minute film. Okay. So, that is crazy. Uh, yeah, this film uh this film did well for itself.
0: I think we should see how it does for itself in our flick chart death
1: match. <laughs> is that what it's called now? <laughs> <laughs> The death match. Who dies today? Let's take it to the battle zone. All right, uh, uh, Das Boot or the Born ultimatum?
0: Well, I'm already feeling guilt. <laughs> you want to go born? <laughs> well, I'm I'm not going to, but I'm not, I'm going to put on Born before I put on Das Boot. I would
1: too. But I think uh Dust Boat is a stronger film. Right.
0: I mean I, I right.
1: I, it's this is that tricky, this is that flick chart battle we always go through. I know. I'm curious where you're gonna go on this one. Dust Boat or Moneyball. I'm gonna say Moneyball. See, I knew you were gonna say Moneyball. Yeah. I, I shouldn't have been curious because I, I knew exactly uh, I don't, where you're go yeah,
0: on. I don't think that's I think that's pretty predictable.
1: I would do uh mm, boy. I think I would do Das Boat, but I think I'll give you Moneyball.
0: Okay. All right, I'm going to pocket that.
1: Oddly, oddly enough, those are both films that I, I don't feel as inclined to put on uh, that often, but I think they're both stellar films. Good. Das Boat or Chronicle? Das Boat. Yes. Uh, how about against Hot Fuzz? <laughs> it it feels so wrong uh-huh. but i would totally
0: pick hot fuzz <laughs> i'm sorry you're gonna get email i i am I i'm am. gonna get i'm gonna i'm gonna return the favor i'm gonna give you that although uh it i'm should be. it's it's I clearly is a
1: better film but hot fuzz is okay so easy to
0: watch it is really easy to watch <laughs> uh how about up against Zero Dark Thirty? Oh, actually, I'm curious how you're going to rank this. Ah, this We've is got one two I have military kind of, movies.
1: Yeah, I have to kind of think about this one. Um, boy, I and both both have difficult scenes to kind of yeah. take and you know, heavy emotional. They tell uh, a difficult story. Me. Hmm.
0: See, I, I personally, I would say Zero Dark Thirty in this case.
1: I actually think I'm leaning to Zero Dark Thirty as well. I'm thinking about the 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 hard-to-watch torture scenes at the beginning. I'm thinking about her final moments in the plane at the end.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you know, I feel like there's real intensity in that film. Uh,
0: and she was well. so good. Yeah, she
1: was. Hmm. Das Boot or the Maltese Falcon? Hmm. The Maltese Falcon is... I think there's so much great fun wordplay in it, but I, I I feel like I would pick DOS both. Yeah. I,
0: I, I also feel like the multis Falcon is comfortable in its own place.
1: Yep. Uh, how about against marathon man?
0: Well, now this gets to that, uh, seventies, 81, uh, smackdown. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would, uh, I would put on Marathon Man first.
1: I, I would probably put on Marathon Man first, but I I think that boils down to length a lot. Uh, You know, it's always hard to find three and a half hours to sit down and watch a movie. Mm -hmm. But I think Dust Boat is the stronger film. I think. There is—I'm uh, just thinking purely of Jürgen Prochnow and his character of the captain. I'm thinking of that moment between uh, him and uh, uh, and his uh, first lieutenant as they're sitting at the bottom of the sea. And you know, there's, there's so many moments. His conversation with the engineer, I feel like there's so much power in that film that— uh, and then the ending, the devastation of the ending, I think is— uh, Yeah, we didn't
0: even actually say that. You know, spoiler, everybody dies—
1: yeah Like it's it is.
0: pretty grim Yeah I think
1: I mentioned The English Planes come flying over And blow everything up I didn't actually say Everybody dies But yes
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, yeah Okay I'll go with Dustboy.
1: Alright There we go 45 Out of 130
0: Alright 130 I start to think We don't have enough to do That's a lot A lot of movies Hey Well done I like this film Where do we go from here? We go to... We're sort of continuing in the theme, right? Of, of, of 1981. <laughs> <laughs> of, uh, you know, movies with a uh, incredible uh, soul-searching heart we, uh, yes. and depth.
1: Absolutely. There's a lot of depth and heart <laughs> and, uh, and uh, just devastation. In this next film, we're actually going to be looking at uh, John Carpenter's uh, wild romp through the city, Escape from New York. That's so good.
0: <laughs>
1: I tell you, that's the, that is the fun thing about looking at a year like this is there's such diversity from everything that we're going to be talking oh, about. My goodness,
0: Yeah. You know, I'm going to start calling you Snake Bliskin. <laughs> if only I felt like I could live up to it. <laughs> right. I know. Okay, next week, eye patches. Eye totally. patches.
1: That's right. That'll totally. be that'll be hard, but I'll I'll do it.
0: Hey, uh, good talk, Andy. Absolutely. Uh I gotta go to bed. Hello <laughs> <laughs> That's so mean.
1: I know. I wonder what they say over on
0: Amazon. Wow, I don't know. We should check.
1: Let's look. Hey, look what Blah Blah says. (laughs) Blah Blah says, I wasn't there, but it feels like I got a pretty good idea of what it would have been like without picking up a book or asking Heinrich Get to the Chopper Nelson his experiences. If you can't deal with subtitles, then you're just another moron and likely aren't even reading this review. If you appreciate good cinema and are interested in mostly accurate war films, then buy it at a store. Grab a few beers, grab your dad, put on your Captain Ron eye patch, and enjoy the movie.
0: <laughs> hey, can we just take a, just a brief step back? Were there subtitles on this review?
1: <laughs> Apparently, just the fact that they're words means that it's subtitles.
0: <laughs> Chris uh, chimes in, I think, related and says uh, his, he has actually quite a, a heartwarming review. Uh, this picture was not in English, and I don't like subtitles. The picture mm. was good, and the sound was good also. Except for the sound Except of them, the sound of them speaking. <laughs> Amazon is a real uh, cornucopia.
1: It is. How many stars did Chris give it?
0: Only one.
1: Wow. Because blah, it was blah, not it, in English. Right, right. So he got to just look at the pretty pictures. Yeah. Blah, blah, look, it gave it four stars. Oh,
0: this, so. is the, this is a, a real fount of inspiration.
1: It is Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better.
0: After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us.
1: If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to the slash Transistor
0: and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to the slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.